Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Each week, we will take you inside the brightest minds of the most highly regarded executives in the world of enterprise-level revenue operations, marketing, and sales with a focus on the future while creating successful wins today. Now, here's your host, Justin Michael. Welcome back to the Vendor Neutral Podcast in the Neutral Zone. I'm Justin Michael doing my best impression of a William Shatner. I am here with Scott Brinker. And uh, this podcast is called Quantum Leap. I've been a huge Scott Brinker fan for years. He is a thought leader in marketing. He's over at HubSpot. He's written books. He has amazing research data. You should be following him on LinkedIn. Scott, how's your day going? I just can't get enough martech all right i can't do a shatner impression well enough either but uh, the day is going well it's great to be here with you great thank you so we've had some chats about enterprise transformation which is becoming a dilbert mission statement it's you know fun to think about and very hard to do we have these big uh death star massive you know titanic mothership organizations and they say okay it's 2020 let's innovate and then they launch a think tank or get an agency but what are some practical ways that executives listening to this podcast can actually do that? Let's, let's get into tangibility before we think vision. Yeah, well, I think the right place to start for any of these activities is, is with the customer. You know, to the, the most valuable exercise I've seen companies do is go through a pretty in-depth, you know, customer journey mapping of not what the ideal state is, but even today. Like where are customers coming in? What are their experiences? Where you know does that flow? And almost always that exercise is going to reveal a ton of disconnects. Um, and you know I think starting with that and just understanding it uh, is a very concrete way to then say, okay, now let's take a look at what we do to fix those. And then as you start to get that uh, motion underway, uh, you know, then you can start to, you know, set your sights towards, ah, okay, well, now that we've got that organized, how do we innovate and improve it from here? I love that. So mapping journeys, one of the great exercises that's a mystery is you go to a whiteboard and you start using pens and you get people that have never talked before out of their silos and sit down and you eat lunch and you start drawing like little kids on the board and mapping it out. We used to do this back at Exact Target: acquire, engage, retain, renew, you know, innovate, whatever it is, the spider graph du jour. What is your process um, when you're trying to do this yourself or when you're working with companies? You know, I know HubSpot is trying to revolutionize the inbound side of things and now has some um, outbound technologies too. But yeah, I mean, I wanna give people tactical tips um, when it comes to bringing the enterprise vision of, you know, you're reading about the singularity and then you're, you're sitting in a, in a database clicking 27 buttons and you're kind of going, how do we get there, you know? Yeah, well, one of the ways I like to start on the customer journey mapping stuff is, you know, go to someone who is one of the frontline people, you know, one of, the, one of the top performers, but someone who's in the frontline, in the marketing org, in the sales org, in the customer success, customer support org, and just ask that individual to say, okay, show me the different places that you see customers coming into your world, the sorts of activities you're doing to help them, where they tend to go after uh, you, know, you finish with them, 
And it's a little bit like that, uh, you know, joke about the three blind men and the, uh, the elephant, you know, like each one of these folks will like have a view of like, oh yeah, this is my world of where, what I'm doing things with customers or prospects. And then I think when I hand them off, they go off in that direction, you know, but when you start to like then map these out, you actually start to see where some of the gaps are that, you know, some of these like transitions, you know, from one state of engagement or, you know, management from one part of the organization to the other, it's, it's not connected. Um, and that's a great place to start. I love it. So now let's step back and look high level. What are the trends you're seeing um, when it comes to sales, marketing and operation? Uh, operations. We hear buzzword bingo, right? Artificial intelligence, machine learning, neural nets. We got Elon Musk launching a nonprofit because the machines are going to take over. And, you know, here I am clicking around in my CRM. <laughs> I'm just, am I going to have a flying car? I'm going to have a hoverboard. Even the hoverboard has wheels. You know, I, I watch Back to the Future. It's inspiration for this Quantum Leap podcast. And I'm always just, how can, I want to I wanna take it a step further. So, you know, who's working on the coolest stuff? And, and where's that visionary piece in the marketplace? I've seen some really big companies acting like startups or bringing in startups or acquiring them or creating think tanks. And then there's also just a bunch of really cool startups going on right now across MarTech, AdTech, you know, disrupting this stuff. So it's, a, I just gave you like a, you know, huge question, but what are your thoughts there? Yeah. Wow. Uh, I, I did when you started that question, I had this vision of, you know, like reclining in my, you know, self-driving car, and in the back, you know, I'm still cutting and pasting individual emails, uh, right? So yeah, there's, there's definitely some irony, uh, you know, to the vision of technology and the reality of, you know, modern marketing and sales. Um, but that being said, I mean, there's a, there, you're absolutely right. There's so much cool stuff that's happening right now. I think there's more innovation happening in MarTech today than ever, uh, if you can believe it, because we've seen a lot of innovation during the past 10 years. Um, you know, on the AI side, I think the things, some of the things that I am personally most interested in is AI that's being associated with some of this no code movement, you know, and you've probably heard that. I mean, speaking of, you know, buzzword bingo, right? You know, a whole bunch of things coming out talking about no code, but there's actually something really meaningful there. You know, generally what all these different no code tools are about is they're empowering business users, non-technical business users, to have the ability to like build things or analyze things or make things that previously, they would have had no hope of doing themselves. They would have had to like take a ticket and wait for someone in IT or, you know, marketing ops to eventually get around to it someday. Um, and increasingly more and more of those things are now being put in their hands to be able to say, ah, actually there's a number of these things I can self-serve. And it's part of the you know, development of AI technology that's helping making more of that possible because the AI is able to you know, distill a lot of the common patterns you know, for some of these tasks. You know, and again, like you know, these no-code tools and these AI capabilities, they don't do what the experts can do, right? I mean, you still need like, you know, for the real you know, serious work, you're gonna have your data scientist or your software developer do that. But boy, if for like, you know, 50% of the like just simple stuff that people want to get done, that they don't want to have to be waiting on someone else to make happen, uh, I think that is an incredibly fruitful area of innovation in MarTech today. I think one of the issues too is we're in a place where the average enterprise stack has 91 MarTech solutions I was reading. I want to think where that study came from, but the point is that 
we want to consolidate, we want converged solutions, but a lot of times the point solutions are where the light is as far as the super innovation, you know, and always makes the CFO happy. How do you um, lead that purchasing decision there? Like, how do you make the trade-offs between the return on investment of trying to converge the stack, build internally, buy point solutions, like guide our listeners through recommendations around optimizing that? Because I think they're getting a lot of, you know, fake AI and snake oil and every single vendor is trying to tell them it's a, you know, better sliced bread. And like, how do you buy and how do you evaluate this stuff? Is it bake-offs? Is like, what's, what's the way to go? I mean, a lot of the blogs I write are on this topic. So I'd love to hear from you, Scott Brinker, <laughs> on not how to turn yourself into procurement officer, but just like how you can be a smart buyer and think like a CMO for your business. Yeah, if I get reincarnated, I'm going to come back as a procurement officer. I'm quite sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean... So I think one of the things that's happening is it used to be in the industry that you were kind of had this dichotomy of either, hey, I can get a suite that's a closed set of capabilities, uh, and the advantage is everything in that box should work well together. The disadvantage is you're kind of constrained by what comes in that box, you know, or you go the direction of, you know, the best of breed, you know, million point solutions, which is awesome for each individual point solution. But how you stitch those things together into a greater whole, you know, just been incredibly difficult, you know, for marketers. Um, and I think what we're seeing in the industry is a shift to try and really blend the best of both of those worlds through platform ecosystems. This idea of saying, okay, listen, there are, there are a handful, you know, maybe a dozen, you know, like major MarTech platforms, you know, but instead of being these closed suites, they're increasingly opening up their APIs, they're developing partner programs and marketplaces, so that ultimately what you can do is you can get hopefully 80% of what you want, your core, your foundation, you know, from a relatively consolidated uh, vendor relationship. But then when you want these point solutions, you're able to pull from things in that ecosystem that were designed by both parties to work well together, to integrate out of the box and have the engineers solve that for you. There's no reason marketers should have to reinvent that wheel uh, every single time. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. Um, you know, there's some, a case to be said for sales and marketing alignment. This is a fun one. Like uh, even uh, Pete Strokorb and uh, Warren Zenner, like it's funny, he's in Australia and Warren Zenner's my buddy in New York. They've come up with marketing. And then I think they're even like try to trademark or something, but I think it's, I love the, you know, I came out of uh, marketing like Al Reese and Jack Trout and the 22 immutable laws. Oh yes. Marketing. Love that book. Oh, best ever. Classic. Right? So there's, there's something that says the power of a brand is infer inversely proportionate to the scope. And when I talk to great branders and marketing, it's about the focus, but we have this crazy ecosystem that's going across the long tail. And so how do we serve all these different customer bases in the patchwork quilt, right? Thousand channels, nothing on. We've got, I mean, look at our, our streaming, <laughs> the cord cutters. You got, you know, enough apps now that it's more than your cable bill. Cause I got Disney plus, but I've also got Netflix, right? So how do you get sales and marketing to gel and how do you focus on what to do next? How, how do you prioritize it? These are big, big problems and challenges for everyone on the call. And I think you're, you're leading the market uh, with how to do this. Yeah, well, I think it goes back to actually where we started. Um, you know, the way you get marketing and sales aligned is first and foremost, you have to have that customer journey mapped out to understand where the handoffs are. Not, not the internal handoffs of like where we think 
you know, things are going between marketing and sales, but from the customer's perspective, where are they touching things that are owned by marketing? Where are they touching things that are, you know, owned by sales? And some of those happen at the same time, you know, in the same time window. It's not a, it's not a black and white handoff. Um, but I think if, if, if you can map that out first, just so that, you know, both sides of the equation understand where these interactions are happening and where they could either work together, you know, to accelerate the deal, or if they're not synchronized, they can actually slow down the deal, you know, because what the person is hearing from their sales rep and what they're getting from a marketing campaign are not like, uh, you know, uh, orchestrated together. Um, so I think that's a good place to start, you know, and then, you know, I mean, metrics, metrics matter, you know, understand like, you know, like these velocity metrics, you know, and a whole marketing is accountable for those as we do the sales team. You know, this, this, mo this movement that's been uh, talked a lot about lately, I mean, it's been around for a while, but it's getting new momentum of uh, the concept of rev ops, you know, that, you know, taking the marketing ops team and the sales ops team, and instead of having them live in, you know, separate silos reporting up to separate executives to start to look at some sort of combined architecture where you, you can have a joint RevOps team that might have marketing ops components and sales ops components, but they're really working together to treat that as an entire, you know, customer lifecycle, uh, you know, system of orchestration. Yes. Yeah, so I'm a huge fan of RevOps and it's this awesome title which is the confluence or nexus point of marketing operations sales operations basically what i think it started to do is gardner said the office of the cmo was going to get the budget from the cio and that's because we have plug and play platforms now that are WYSIWYG. what you see is what you get basically the no code paradigm where you don't have to learn you can go in like and there's journey mapping software now where you can lay out all your touch points and your emails are templated and you can just move it around and the stuff has the ease of use of, you know, Google or Amazon or Facebook. Now, nothing's that easy, but it's a lot easier than it used to be when I got into email marketing. I mean, you had to kind of learn a pseudo coding uh, <laughs> to put this stuff together, right? If you even think of MySpace, yeah. you had to put code in your MySpace to get it going. So how do people learn about RevOps? Because I've also found there's not a lot of books on it. There's these private Slack communities. People want to get smarter. They don't want to know what is this? How can I use it in the enterprise? Is this a startup mm -hmm. thing? Is it a cool kid thing? Or is this a thing that's really going to happen and transform? Yeah, I think it's, I mean, a lot of these things, you know, happen with the digital natives. They happen with the startups because those are the companies that are frankly always the ones looking to disrupt the status quo. And so they're willing to try and experiment with new models to do that. I do think RevOps here is starting to reach a, a critical mass uh, where I agree there's not a lot of great resources out there today, but I know there's a lot of companies that are now putting these structures in place and they're starting to implement it. So my, my expectation will be over the next 12 months, we will actually start to see uh, a lot more case studies of this. We'll, you know, I, I guess we're not gonna have in-person conferences for at least a little while still here, but you know, I'm sure there will be a virtual conference, you know, for RevOps professionals and, uh, you know, we'll start to get that community to both A, get more exposure, you know, so more people are aware of it, but also then start to encourage more of that community sharing so that, yeah, we can start to learn from these different experiments that, you know, people are doing. People want to, you know, kind of get to the Scott Brinker level. I mean, I've been following your content for a long time. The reason I say this is you're able to generate content 
but it's not a regurgitation or a curation, you're synthesizing and bringing insights to your marketing content. I have two questions. One, if someone wants to take a real serious approach to building a brand out of their content and feels like they don't have the time, like, can you walk them through your journey? Because you put out a lot of content and you synthesize content that is really just Scott Brinker content, you know, like a Seth Godin or like other, there's a few voices that are able to do that. How did you go from just working at a company to, to doing that? I and mean, this might unlock like another, you know, three hours of conversation, but he's got to have some maxims for people wanting to do that because we're the age of branding. Wow. Well, well, first of all, thank you. I, I'm, uh, you know, flattered that, uh, yeah, you know, folks see it that way. Um, boy, you know, I have to say the thing about the whole MarTech content that I write is, well, I don't know if this is like replicatable. It's just, um, I'm a nerd, you know, like I am so passionate about this stuff, uh, you know, and generally what I'm trying to do is understand it myself. You know, I'm like, I, I read all these things. I talk to people, I see this and I'm trying to make sense of that. And so what I end up writing is usually, frankly, a version of just trying to explain it to myself. Um, and to the degree that, yeah, that, that resonates with other people, I, I'm always incredibly happy. Uh, like, I feel like, okay, well, you know, hopefully I'm contributing something useful to the universe. But yeah, in truth, part of it's just, you know, I'm following a passion here, which, again, this is another reason why I always have to disclaim this. Um, it's one thing to do this because you love it and it's a hobby and it's, you know, you have fun with it. It's another thing when you are a content marketer and you are being held accountable, you know, to a certain amount of growth in your audience, a certain you know, amount of lead generation coming out of it. Part of the blessing of the work I do on, you know, Chief Martech is, yeah, I, I, I don't have any accountability there. So I'm sort of free to just pursue things as they interest me. I think the job's much harder for content marketers who are like, listen, I need a calendar. I need to be able to, you know, hit a certain, you know, number here every month, every quarter. Um, and so I have a lot more respect for people who are actually doing that, you know, under that pressure. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So I hear salespeople love the refrain. We got to give the CMO a number. We've got to give the, the marketing team a number and it's, we're going to all have a number, but it's, it's so hard in different ways because I've worked across the, the stack, if you will. I've been on the operations side and the sales side and the marketing side. The road is long. Um, 40 is the new 30. And uh, I've also had a lot of respect for platforms that have come on the scene like Twitter where it's like, we're not really sure what it does. A lot of eyeballs. How do we measure the ROI of social? That was the whole <laughs> conversation of the odds, right? Now we can actually measure it with these analytic platforms. Um, can you talk to me about marketing attribution? I'm a huge fan mm -hmm. of of platforms that can map out every touch point. So you can literally go, and it's like, what, is it John Wanamaker says like 50% of my advertising is working, but I don't know which 50% it is. Mm -hmm. This quote goes all the way back to the Mad Men days. Can we get to full funnel return on ad spend? And if we can't, what are the tips to measuring better, to know the investment across the supply chain that is the initial eyeballs to the engagement across marketing the whole, the whole value chain really, because I think this, the CFO is going, okay, I got 91 tech in my stack. I got people, I got prospect technology and I, I can't really see there's these opaque little silos, especially in massive organizations where you're global and you know, the geos and, and different currencies and, and languages. So your advice on this would be really helpful. Yeah. Well, you know, my, my opinion is, it is actually a really hard problem. And I don't believe it's possible to get to 
perfect attribution because let's face it, there's a lot of things that happen that go into buying decisions and research decisions and you know customer happiness that that we can't track. You know, it's the conversation you know that a prospective buyer has with their friend at another company who adopted your solution that you have no visibility into. You know, but they call them up and it's like, hey, what was this actually like? And how much did you pay for that? And you know, I mean, so so, so I think you have to accept that there is a perfect attribute. That being said, what's really exciting is we are able to get greater visibility to attribution than we ever have before. Because for at least any of these touch points that are digital, you know, or that we can correlate some sort of offline event and its impact or correlation to you know, other activities you know, through other channels, these models work. And even if they're not perfect, Right. If you the the closer you can get, you know, to being able to understand what's working, what's not, what's the associated or correlated, you know, like revenue with that, then you're just able to make smarter decisions, uh, you know, about where you double down on investments, where you take money away, where you feel, you know, we should probably experiment and try something different. Um, so I think. Uh, yeah, be, be wary of people who are promising you perfect attribution, but boy, if I'm a marketing ops person today, getting that attribution as complete as I possibly can uh, seems like the number one mission. That's awesome. Um, another place I want to talk about, because I came out of MarTech and AdTech and mobile for 13 years, and is, uh, is the word data. And it's such a loaded word, because we've gone into this time where we're protecting the customer's data and GDPR and CCPA and all the regulation around data and fair use of data. But we're also in a time where it's data is the new oil and it's about personalization by using the data. Now I've, I've worked in the industry. So I think, man, I mean, the ads are going to be there if it could just show me anything that I like at all. Cause I mean, I'd love a home plumbing course, but, and I'm, that's a great thing to do, but it's, this is the problem is I run around the internet and I get these ads that I tune out because it's so far from what I'm trying to see. So how do we keep better consumer privacy for our customers, but at the same time, leverage the technology to make a more personalized experience? This, is, this to me seems like a paradox. Um, I feel like you're uniquely qualified to recommend how to solve that. <laughs> well, you might be uh, giving me uh, uh, too much uh, credit there. Yeah, just um, point us, man. I mean, like, where, where do you go? I mean, read your blog, <laughs> uh, shameless plug, but yeah, I mean, is, it, is there a suite of technologies like intelligent consent management? What should people be thinking about in order to take the steps in that direction, you know, safely personalizing the experience? Yeah. All right. So I'm actually going to like perhaps take a position that uh, might be unexpected on this. Um, don't get me wrong. There's some amazing personalization technology out there. Uh, but I think most of the problems in marketing today are not because the content isn't personalized. It's because the content kind of sucks. It's just not that compelling. It's not well thought out. The, the value proposition is not clear. You know, it's not clear what the differentiation is, you know, from other alternatives in that space. And I would rather see a better, clearer, more compelling, you know, piece of content than a piece of content that is superficially personalized to me, but is still kind of mediocre. And I think that's also one of the things about the advertising side. Again, I know we've gotten so used to ad tech in theory being able to hyper-target to people based on behaviors. 
But the truth is, you know, those things go wrong as much as they go well, because, you know, people don't, I mean, I, I, I've got ads that follow me around for like MarTech solutions because I like visited a website to look at something. And now they're showing up every time as I'm trying to read the New York Times. I'm like, this is wasted. I'm not interested in your thing in that way at this point. But if you take a look at one of the alternatives, if you see people offering up is a uh, you know, solution to as we lose some of this, you know, uh, privacy, uh, the, the privacy regulations are going to like restrict what our targeting capabilities are, which is make really compelling marketing and advertising and then put it in the contextual places where someone is looking for that content. I'm not interested in a MarTech solution when I'm on the New York Times. If I go to a site like MarTech today, actually it's pretty relevant to see, oh wow, that's a cool new CDP and what's that doing? I mean, that's neat. And so I don't know. I think, you know, all the technology ups and downs, there's sometimes just too much of an excuse, you know, for marketers to get away from, you know, the real hard truth, which is you've just got to do really compelling marketing and content and put it in the right place where someone's looking for it. Yeah. So I've had a personal experience with that lately on LinkedIn where LinkedIn is getting so big and I was posting so many times a day because there's an era where to get big in social, you just put out a lot of things and content. Well, now I've been slowing down. I've been putting out like one thing a day or two things a day and being super thoughtful about what that's going to be. Um, even some of this awesome vendor neutral content where there's quite a lot of thought that goes into um, uh, building it out. And then you, you put it up there and it's kind of cool when it works and you get 10,000 views or hundreds of hits and interactions. And so it's kind of a yes. measure twice, cut once. When I, I talked to, uh, who was it? Uh, Ryan O'Hara at Lead IQ. He was like, you need to think like a Super Bowl ad for one. <laughs> I thought that was yeah, really that. cool, you know? Because if you produce something extra cool, there's this guy, Rajiv Goel, and he, he did a Fresh Prince of Bel-Air rap for B2B sales. And I thought it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> what's the coolest like give us some examples of marketing that's just doing what you just said like you know working with a great degree of acumen or it's compelling or you know by putting the effort because there's plenty of people that put a ton of effort into a marketing campaign and it goes thud also so it's like how can you you know make that investment of time and money count um it's tough yeah well, I mean, again, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's trite to say it, uh, you know, but it's, it's the truth is you need to create something that your audience actually wants to read. And so, yeah, I'll give you a concrete example. So, you know, there's a number of companies uh, now that um, uh, are offering SaaS management solutions. Uh, so like one of the companies is this company called Blissfully. And the idea is you subscribe to Blissfully, it connects to all your SaaS products, your accounting system to see what you're spending on them, you know, your authentication system to you know, keep track of who's using what tools. Uh, and it, it, it provides a way for you to like, you know, keep track of all these things and get rid of tools that you aren't using or you know, eliminate duplicates or you know, I mean, all amazing stuff. So one of the things they did was they created, in my opinion, one of the best, most authoritative reports ever on like, okay, based on all their thousands of customers, here's the data on what tools are people using? What's the average size of a stack? How does that vary across industry, you know, or size? Like how does the spending of different, you know, oh my goodness, this data is friggin' amazing. Like I, I've, they've done that report like two or three times and every time they come out with it, like I can't wait to like read through it and page it. And now anytime someone asks me about this stuff, I'm citing blissfully and I'm pointing to blissfully. And I'm like, these guys are awesome at that. 
they, they created a really great piece of content that a lot of people are interested in, or at least I should say their target audience finds this data really, really interesting. And that's a perfect example of doing this well. Well, that's an exciting place. Like I, I know I have a few more minutes in the, in the podcast, but you're just so animated and uh, I think we've come to a good, a good spot with the content here today. Um, <laughs> what's your North star? Is it a quote? Is it a book? What governs you? I mean, I've had people say, you know, I have 14 autobiography, uh, 14 biographies of uh, Winston Churchill, right? Like I grew up in a house where that was the case. We all know everything about Coventry. It's interesting. But for you, it, you know, Seth Godin, or maybe it's certain customers. And a lot of people say, you know, the best sales books, not a sales book at all, but motivate us. Teach, like, how does Scott Brinker eat a Reese's? Wow, fascinating. And I apologize, uh, various uh, noises in the background here. Uh, you know, life in COVID land, of course. Um, yeah, you know, I think it comes down to following your passion, you know, uh, that, you know, we all need to make a living, you know, and there's all things that, you know, we figure out, okay, where's that intersection between my passion, you know, and then like what people actually pay me for. Um, I think the more you can find ways to make that Venn diagram overlap more and more, just the better it works. I mean, this is, I, I forget who said it. it was something like this, you know, find something, you know, you love to do, you know, for work and you'll never work a day in your life. <laughs> I, have, I have yet to actually see that, that degree of it, but um, you know, I think, I think that's the truism to it. And so, I don't know, I'm always inspired by stories of, um, you know, people pursuing things because they love it, they believe in it, um, you know, and that the professional success to whatever varying degree that comes with that, you know, just it, it, it it's, it's just part of who they are. Um, so being mission driven, that's what I say, you do what you love and you never work a day in your life. Then I went solo as a consultant and I've never worked harder in my life. So I'm sorry to burst <laughs> the bubble for everyone. A uh, little, little gallows humor here. Um, where can people find you? I mean, you're definitely like running one of the best blogs. You're doing awesome stuff at HubSpot, but, um, you know, folks are going to go over here and click Scott Brinker LinkedIn. Uh, but yeah, where do you want to point folks? Like, do you have a recent book that you wrote? Like, let's just get people to your content. Sure. Uh, well, I guess, uh, yeah, chiefmartech.com. Uh, my blog is probably the best place to find all things from there. Uh, and I'm also at chiefmartech. Uh, on Twitter and happy to chat with anyone, uh, you know, there as well too. So um, yeah, uh, reach out. I feel like I actually took a quantum leap. So thanks everyone for tuning in and we'll have you back on the show. Okay, Scott. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the quantum leap podcast. Be sure to visit vendorneutral.com where you can access the show notes, discover many valuable free resources and subscribe to the podcast.